Hello, welcome to Star Cells and God, the show where we discuss new discoveries taking place at the frontiers of science that have theological and philosophical implications, as well as new discoveries that point to the reality of God's existence. My name is Jeff Zwerink, and today we're going to look at a discussion or a controversy surrounding Hubble and the law named after him. But before I get in, we get into the discussion, I want to encourage you to subscribe to our channel, Reasons to Believe, so you can be notified of new weekly videos. You learn more at reasons.org or by following us on our social media at RTB Official. David, it is great to have you here today. I know, kind of give us a little bit of just your, uh, your professional story, if you will. Why are you here and why are we talking to you today? So I used to serve as director of the Anglo-American Cosmic Dust Laboratory <laughs> in Johannesburg, South Africa. And I've been involved in astronomy research, not only research into astronomical observations, but also research into the history of astronomy for many decades now. And I believe, Jeff, that I first met you in the 1980s. Reasons to Believe was just in its very inception phase, very inception phase. I don't even know if there were five members, in <laughs> fact. Uh, but to fast track to 2022, uh, I am proudly an RTB scholar, a visiting scholar for a couple of weeks uh, after this heading to Hawaii to speak there. And right. so as a visiting research scholar, it's just such a joy to be here. And that's the reason why David and my beloved wife, Liz, <laughs> are in Los Angeles. Well, I know I've really enjoyed our time to discuss and the interactions we've had, and I'm looking forward to our conversation today yes. because it, this is one of those examples where there's a name or something gets associated mm. and it's it becomes the common mm. lore, if you will, Correct. of the field, Correct. and it turns out to just be incorrect, but it's really hard to change. And so this uh, relates to the expansion of the universe Absolutely. and who discovered it and how Absolutely. it played out. So why don't Absolutely. you give us some background on what we're going to be talking talking about, and uh, we'll get around to why it's important in a bit. I suppose that many of my students might say to me, Professor, who was or who is the father of Big Bang cosmology? And everybody, I mean, if you look at any astronomy textbook, anyone, I mean, of the multiplied hundreds or thousands one can think of, uh, Hubble, Edwin Hubble, uh, paper of 1929 is believed to be the definitive paper marking the discovery of the Big Bang, mm -hmm. of Big Bang cosmology. His plot, his famous plot in 1929 of velocity versus distance. That's velocity at which galaxies recede from us right. versus their distance. It's a linear plot in Hubble 1929. The if you double the distance to a galaxy, you double the speed at which it's going away right. from us. And the idea is essentially that if you run the movie backwards in time in this expanding universe, eventually you come to the creation point, if you like, which is the Big Bang. But Hubble, uh, everywhere you look, certainly until I had done my research and others had done their historical detective work, was regarded as the father of the Big Bang and, of course, appeared Jeff on Time magazine cover mm -hmm. as the father of Big Bang cosmology. 
Well, I mean, I know I have used that. One of the plots I often use, you know, you're talking about Big Bang cosmology. You yes. talk about, you know, general relativity, and I attribute that to Einstein. You talk about whether there's a beginning, and, yes. you know, there's various people, and that's a little more complicated. Yes. But when I talk about the expansion of the universe, you know, it's like I put up, here's Hubble's diagram. Here's exactly. the discovery of the expansion of the exactly. universe. Exactly. This isn't the right way. Well, it's not the whole story. It's certainly not the right way to look at it. So I know you've done a lot of work to see what did Hubble do exactly. and what did he maybe take exactly. from other people. Exactly. So kind of give us what have you found as you've done your historical so let's work? Let's just backtrack a little bit. I did my doctorate in galaxy morphology, Jeff, which is the shapes and sizes and dynamics of galaxies. And again, in every textbook, you find the Hubble classification scheme of galaxies. It's like a Y tilted on its side, mm -hmm. and you've got the elliptical galaxies on the left side of the prongs, and then you've got the spirals on the other side of the, well, forming the two prongs in your Y. Right. And uh, I then looked at Hubble's original paper, that would be Hubble 1926, okay. to see, well, there obviously must be a tuning fork diagram there, mm -hmm. and if there is, it's obviously got to be called after the author. Right. But to my great surprise, I found that there was no Hubble tuning fork there. There was no diagram. Hmm. There was no diagram at all. And uh, to fast track, I flew to Pasadena. I met with Alan Sandage, who was Hubble's right-hand man, who served as one of the greatest astronomers of all time, really, mm -hmm. Alan Sandage. And uh, he was astonished, and he walked me down to the Astrophysical Journal area of 1926. Okay. And uh, he opened the volume, and as he opened the volume, he indeed concurred with me that there's no diagram there. But also, but also, penciled in Hubble's handwriting was... Uh, the nomenclature, if you like, used by J.H. Reynolds to classify galaxies. So we hmm. think Hubble was the first one to actually go and systematically classify normal and barred spiral galaxies. But no, Sandage showed me very clearly that in Hubble's writing was the references to the work of Reynolds. And so this set me on a whole detective trail is what is Hubble's, what is not Hubble's? What did Hubble, which data did Hubble use mm -hmm. and which data did Hubble not use? Was Hubble a meticulous annotator and referencer of previous and existing works in astronomy? Or was everything just bundled under the name of Edwin Hubble. I mean, you have everything, you know. You have Hubble's tuning fork. You have Hubble's uh, luminosity profile. You have Hubble's law. And there are about 10 uh, named after Hubble. But the point in my detective work was this, Jeff. How much of this is true and how much of this is actually gently taken from other people's work and ideas mm -hmm. And uh, we must remember this, Jeff. When we are talking about Big Bang cosmology and the father of it, uh, we're talking of one of the greatest discoveries of all time. So many viewers might say, well, David, you know, what's in a name? If it's not Hubble, it's somebody else. But when it comes to, like, the unlocking of the DNA or the father of Big Bang cosmology, you have to get your historical records in right. Mm -hmm. 
in, in line because credit has to be given, Jeff, where credit is due. Well, that that's one of the you know, just even as I've been doing research and written yes. papers, that's a key part of writing a good paper. It is, it's not isn't just it? okay, I can reference this paper, but it was like yeah, there may be a summary, but when you want to get to the idea, you got to get to yes, the original idea. Absolutely. And so so I want to go back to your discussion about you know, so you're looking at the astrophysical yes. journals where yeah, you got yes, the annotation yes, in Hubble's handwriting. Yes, so yes. if I got what you were saying there, it's like in his writing, he's using somebody else's correct. classification, correct. Correct. but seems to be passing correct. it off as correct. his own. Well, that's correct. Um, in fact, uh, it's a double mystery because not only does he take the galaxy classification scheme really drawn up by one of the great British astronomers, J.H. Uh, Reynolds, mm -hmm. very interesting character, and you can read a lot more about J.H. Reynolds in a book I wrote with Ken Freeman called Shrouds of the Night, okay. published by Springer in New York. But yes, in that, uh, in that paper of 1926, in Hubble's own handwriting, is a reference to another masterpiece, which is a masterpiece by John Reynolds on the classification of galaxies. But then the point really is, is that uh, where does the Hubble tuning fork come from? Mm -hmm. And it turns out that Sir James Jeans, the great British astronomer, adored music and wrote a book, which I think was called Science and Music, something along those lines, Science right. and Music. And in there, Sir James Jeans presents the traditional, now traditional Y diagram and Hubble sees this. It's amazing. Hubble sees this diagram and says, well, this is amazing. This just uh, works for me perfectly. Mm -hmm. And he goes and uses that uh, in the realm of the nebulae, which is the famous popular book that Hubble published. But it's astonishing, right, that the actual galaxy classification scheme is misattributed to Hubble and, and, the, the tuning fork should be the Sir James Jeans <laughs> tuning fork. Gotcha. And I have that book. I have that book, uh, Science and Music or Cosmogony and Music, something like that, by Jeans. And there's the tuning fork. So this was a pattern which was going to repeat itself, Jeff, over and over again throughout Hubble's life is papers would be written containing ideas or data points from others mm -hmm. and not referenced. So I have a question in that because, you know, I've written on the multiverse and I can't yes. say the multiverse is an no. idea to me, but mm. really the, the genesis was, is like, okay, people are talking about this. I need to understand it, so of I go course. out and read. Yes. And there is a, uh, a cosmologist, uh, you know, he's been at Harvard, MIT, yeah. Max Tegmark, and yes. he came up with what I just thought was a beautiful scheme That's for right. talking about That's the multiverse. Right. There's right. the level one, the level two, level three, level That's four. Right. And so, I mean, I use that terminology Absolutely. all the time. Right. Mo I mean, in my writings, right. the vast majority of time, anytime I reference it, I go back and yep. I, I give him credit for mm -hmm. it because I get it. I think it's a beautiful yes, it mnemonic or way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. Is there a problem here with Hubble using other people's stuff or is it something else? Well, this is a very profound question and I think it's something else because there are just too many missing pieces in this detective puzzle. 
uh, it's one thing to let this happen once. And so, well, astronomers were talking of the Hubble, of classifying galaxies and Hubble synthesizes that. Mm-hmm. But when there's no diagram there at all, that immediately alerts you that something is really gravely amiss. Now, if you look, for example, at Hubble's graph in the seminal 1929 paper, mm-hmm. there are lots of data points. I think Hugh Ross said 80 or 90% of the data points come from Vesto Slipher. And okay. he is also not referenced. He's also not referenced in Hubble 29. So, so Slipher is not even in the paper. That's, that's what oh, I, wow. as I recall, okay. is that it's just, it just gives you data points as if they are secured from um, Edwin Hubble. Oh, interesting. And so um, most of those come from uh, Slipher, and a few of them, as I recall, come from uh, Humerson, who worked with Hubble at the time. But the point was that I then became very suspicious of uh, Edwin Hubble, not in terms of being an astronomer. He was one of, he is still regarded as one of the really great astronomers Mm -hmm. of the current epoch, But I'm, as a Christian, let me say this, Jeff, uh, credit must be given where credit is due. Right. And I think that if people are slaving away, for example, at telescopes and securing data points, I have to reference them. I have to acknowledge my sources. And to go back to your original question, it seems like Hubble's persona was immense, or to use a better word, even astronomical. (laughs) Um, Hubble was regarded in his day as the king, the emperor, let's use that word, as the emperor of the galaxies. And I've subsequently developed a talk based on what we'll chat about later on today called The Naked Emperor, you know, Mm -hmm. based on the famous book, The Emperor Has No Clothes. And... uh, It's terribly unfortunate that Hubble allowed this persona to osmose through multitudes of papers, textbooks, and so on, as if it's his. And to the best of my knowledge, well, certainly to the best of Alan Sandage's knowledge too, uh, this was never, ever properly referenced. It upset Alan Sandage so much that uh, I remember being on the phone to him in Pasadena. I was in Johannesburg shortly before Alan Sandage died, which was a couple of years ago now. And he just said, David, I do not know where to turn anymore, given what you've uncovered. I'm appalled. I don't know what word he exactly used, but he couldn't believe that this was a recurring theme mm-hmm. in the persona of Edwin Hubble. You know, I remember when, you know, we were discussing this a few days ago yes. on, uh, earlier in your visit. Yes. And as I was hearing it, there was part of me that it's it's not surprising. I yes. mean, scientists, yes. you know, we have this idea I've had in my mind of, you know, yes. scientists are these yes. objective, rational, yes. logical, ethical yes. people. And they're people just like the rest right. of us. I mean, right. you know, there, there's nothing right. different about that. Right. So the fact that somebody would do this is not surprising. Right. But it does raise some difficulties in wrestling with how do we take it, it seems to hit at the credibility of science Correct. because absolutely you know and again I, I don't think there's anything wrong or what Hubble has shown or mm. what what's attributed to Hubble mm. is scientifically accurate mm. but yet his personality got in the way of doing the the attributions and the credit well, well, well and so people aren't getting credit yes. for the work they did. Well Jeff the point really is they weren't all correct because 
Uh, if you look carefully at the astronomical journals, there was a very obscure journal published uh, in Belgium, very obscure, not read by the masses. Mm -hmm. you know. Pasadena was the center of the universe in, <laughs> in Edwin Hubble's time. Mount Palomar, Mount Wilson, of course. Right. And uh, so I discovered, and there were others who discovered this as well, we have to give credit where credit's due, but I was one of those who noted that two years prior to Hubble's paper of 1929, was a paper by a Catholic priest. Now, this is terribly interesting because he was one of the really most brilliant uh, experts on general relativity and on cosmology. Mm -hmm. This is Georges Lemaitre, who um, was a Belgian priest, a Catholic priest, and uh, an ardent or devout, I would think, man of God who studied the universe. Now, if you look at the field equations, which, of course, I was very familiar with when I did the detective story, um, I saw that uh, Lemaitre had actually uh, solved uh, Big Bang cosmology, not in 29, but in 1927. But not only that, but not only that, not only had he discovered Hubble's law now, mm -hmm. right? Uh, that's the point, not only had he discovered that Galaxies should recede as velocities proportional to distance. Not only had he discovered that, uh, Lemaitre, but he actually gave a calculation based on the data he had accessible at the time on the Hubble constant. And, oh, okay. And, and, of course, it's not the Hubble constant. It's the Lemaitre constant because he computed this two years earlier. So he goes to A prove mathematically that if we live in an expanding universe, you know, which is, say, isotropic and homogeneous, and you look at the metrics therein, uh, then the universe is, should be expanding according to this law. Velocity is proportional to distance, mm -hmm. and that the rate should be whatever uh, figure it was, kilometers per second per megaparsec. And so I saw that as, I mean, that's the Rosetta Stone. We're not talking here of just a name, Jeff. Mm -hmm. That's the Rosetta Stone. I think that's why I come over so strongly and so passionately when I talk about that is that paper in Lemaitre, 1927, is the veritable Rosetta Stone for all Big Bang cosmology. Right. And... You know, to my mind, the first telescope in space should be the Lemaitre Space Telescope. <laughs> Not because I've got anything, any any guns to grind mm -hmm. against Edwin Hubble, but that's the Rosetta Stone. Right. But because it was published in uh, in, in an obscure journal in Belgium and not available to the masses... Hubble publishes his paper in 1929 with no reference at all to Lemaitre. Mm -hmm. To the best of my knowledge, I don't think he ever actually in his papers cited Lemaitre, to the best of my knowledge. Mm -hmm. But anyway, why I became so disgruntled by all of this is this is not just a mere name now. This is the, the Rosetta Stone, which I know is the Rosetta Stone here at Reasons to Believe, right? Right. Is you are all adherents to Big Bang cosmology. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it's very interesting that the Big Bang, which is regarded so much 
as uh, by certain Christians as one of the greatest enemies of our faith is in fact developed by a devout believer in God. Um, from everything I've read, Lemaitre was a devout believer. He even has annotated. I visited the Lemaitre archives in Belgium, my son Aaron and myself, mm-hmm. and we actually have in Lemaitre's writing Pascal, certain of the Ponsay, numbered and so forth. So he was a very devout man of God right. from what I can understand. But as I say, to have the Rosetta Stone, stone eclipsed was a sin, if you like, that I could not let go. You know, that, that's a, a startling discovery. I mean, yes. you know, for numbers of reasons. Yes. One is you've got this, you know, how we think about cosmology yes, today exactly. is really attributed to the wrong person. Exactly, absolutely. And, so. you know, I, I don't know whether that was Hubble knew about the paper and didn't no. say, you know, I mean, there, 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 know. yeah, there's a whole mm-hmm. lot of unknown there mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm. But this idea... So, so there's this idea that Hubble came up with it. Yes. We have the research now that shows otherwise. Yes, absolutely. But, I mean, I, I do quite a bit of work on this, and this is yes. the first I'm really hearing of yes. it. Yes, yes, In the context of I've heard that Lemaitre was involved, but yes. not, you know, it's like the it's Hubble. Yeah, no. yeah that, that we really no. just think about it wrongly. No. And I know. So, so my question is this. It mm. seems like it's hard to dislodge these very popular notions mm. because one other popular notion is that science and the Christian faith are antagonistic mm. exactly. to one another. Exactly. And if exactly. I could just read, I just wanted to read a quote uh-huh. out of a book called Science and Religion, a historical introduction by Gary Ferngren, where they're talking about this conflict thesis. And, mm. you know, I mean, you talk to many scientists, many people as they're writing about it, it's, oh, yeah, science and religion are in conflict. And this is the statement by historians of science. Yes. However, it is a salutatory to note that serious historical scholarship has revealed the conflict thesis is at best an oversimplification and at worst a deception. Mm-hmm. So here's this very mm-hmm. popular notion mm-hmm. that science and religion mm-hmm. are in conflict with mm-hmm. one another. Mm-hmm. But yet you've got the historians of science for at least 20, maybe 30 years saying that's not the right way to look at it. But yet that's that's still the public perception. Well, in South Africa and I believe here, I was just chatting to Hugh Ross in the car coming back from San Diego. He was just saying this very point is that, you know, I get told over and over again, Professor, you cannot believe in the Big Bang because Big Bang equals evolution equals no God. That's the equation I get all the time. Mm -hmm. I get thrown at in South Africa and I get thrown at here. Big Bang equals evolution equals no God. And yet here I sit as an Orthodox Jew who came to faith in Yeshua Jesus in 1976 and I see the most glorious harmony. The Big Bang's not my enemy, it's my greatest friend. I see the most glorious harmony between the books of nature mm-hmm. and the books and the book of scripture. And in fact, there's a book I wrote, as you know, with Professor Ken Freeman, one of the greatest pioneers on dark matter. And Ken and I wrote this book published in Chicago by Crossway called God and Galileo. And there right. we see. And there we argue and we see that the harmony which between the two books goes back, way back to Galileo and even prior to that. But Galileo, Galileo's life was on the line, Jeff, because mm-hmm. he was saying there's a glorious harmony between the two books, the book of right. nature 
and the book of Scripture, if you interpret the book of Scripture correctly. Mm -hmm. But if you interpret it incorrectly, for example, it states in the Scriptures, the earth cannot be moved, the earth is on its foundations and is fixed and cannot be moved. If you take that literally, you're stuck with a geocentric universe, which means everything goes around the earth and the earth is stationary and forever fixed on its foundations. But, I mean, you come into an immediate problem there because Jesus says in John 10, I believe, uh, (laughs) you know, he described, he says, I am the door. And nobody Mm -hmm. would argue that if you come into a door or knock on a door that you're encountering the presence of our beloved Savior, Jesus of Nazareth. Right. You've got to determine. So Galileo understood this all very clearly and tried to argue for faith in God as a creative astronomer, as a creative Mm -hmm. scientist. And he's very fortunate, I think largely due to his connections with the the Duchess of Tuscany and so on, the Medici family, that he wasn't actually, you know, burnt at the stake for heresy because, remember, he had to recant his ideas Mm. in Rome. In the famous trial, he had to recant all his ideas. Um, It's a shocking revelation of... People who regard themselves as fundamentalists and who are interpreting the Bible without taking credence of the book of nature Mm -hmm. and coming to diverse or divorce conclusions as you've read out. And so in the context of this interview, my greatest, one of my greatest scientific friends is undoubtedly the Big Bang. Because I see such harmony there. You know, in the beginning, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. So there is a beginning. If the Bible is to be the inspired word of God, Jeff, there has to be a beginning in cosmic space and in cosmic time. And then when I look at my equations in general relativity and the papers and the solutions of Lemaitre in 1927, I see that, ah, there's a beginning. There has to be a beginning. And we live in an expanding universe expanding as a result mm-hmm. of this beginning. And uh, that's why I'm so excited to be a creative scientist who's also a believer. Right. Well, and that's one of the things I wonder. I mean, you know, you look at this kind of the conflict thesis started in the 19, early 1900s. Yes. Had it been well known that here you've got this Belgian Catholic priest yes, absolutely. who's devout man of God, absolutely. but yet he comes up with this, absolutely. that just kind of gets rid of that. You can't have this conflict there. There's got to be something else going on. So had Lemaitre had his credit, it may have subverted this or undermined this idea that science and faith are in conflict with one another. Absolutely. I think that if Lemaitre was credited already in 1927 or 1928, Mm -hmm. there might have been a great step forward with regard to the harmony of faith and science. But people today regard the Big Bang as something wielded upon by atheistic cosmologists and so forth. And the father of the Big Bang is Georges Lemaitre. There is zero doubt about that. And uh, yes, a devout man of God who loved the Bible, as far as I understand it, who loved the Bible, he was a priest also, and who loved um, the mathematics of the expanding universe and went to lay the Rosetta Stone in his paper. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I find that fascinating, all of that, especially in the context of when Lemaitre proposed the Big Bang. Yes. 
science—it's not like scientists said, "Oh, we got the Big Bang. We no, de- attacked no, Christianity." No. In some sense, you can make an argument that throughout the 20th century, cosmologists were brought to Big Bang cosmology, kicking and dragging and screaming because they They wanted the universe to be eternal. And you've got this model which has a beginning. So I I find that actually very potent evidence in favor of the Big Bang. It's like this is what they didn't want to be the case. They didn't want it. Uh, Astronomers did not want the universe to have a beginning in space and time. I think that that's beautifully summed up, Jeff, in a book by Robert Jastrow called God and the Astronomers, who speaks about the expanding universe, and he says, as astronomers scale the final mountains, the Mm. final rocks, they meet the creator or they meet a band of theologians who've been sitting there (laughs) for centuries. And so, yes, I mean, the Big Bang, you know, now as I have done my historical uh, detective work and uh, so forth, the Big Bang is Christianity's, one of Christianity's greatest friends, Um, you know, discovered, pioneered by a Christian himself, uh, Georges Lemaitre. And uh, this is terribly important because it's not only what's in a name, is it Hubble's law, Mm -hmm. but it's going to do to something far deeper, which you so beautifully point out in that book, Science and Religion, is that uh, we're dealing with the heart of something which is so critical, and that is an apparent divorce between faith and science. Right. Um, You know, faith in God and science. And the Big Bang, correctly understood, Jeff, is is in the most glorious harmony with Genesis chapter Mm 1. And, uh, yeah, it's it's foundations. The Rosetta Stone is not by some, you know, person who wants to disprove the Bible and so on and so on and so on. Georges Lemaitre simply uh, wanted the truth to be exposed and in the most beautiful, in his own humble way, presents the solution to the equations and an estimated value of the Lemaitre constant. It's fascinating. You know, one, one last question I have for you before we, we wrap up. You know, in the theme of we've got these ideas where Hubble came up with the Big Bang. Mm. Um, you've got science and faith and reli- or science and religion in conflict yes. with one another. Yes. There's another idea out there that is, again, pervasive amongst yeah. most of my scientific colleagues or people who address this, is that, uh, you know, Copernicus, when he came along, mm-hmm. that he dethroned the earth from That's its great right. and glorious That's foundation right. and right. put it out as That's this right. run-of-the-mill That's start right. out there. That's right. And That's right. again, the, the, right. the research shows mm-hmm. that that is very cliched, that mm-hmm. the earth was at the dregs of... Mm-hmm of the universe Correct. by being in the center, and Correct. it's now elevated out Correct. into elevated. To, the, to the harmony of the stars, exactly. if you will. Exactly. But yet this idea persists. Yeah. Any thoughts on how do we address these longstanding, pervasive ideas that just turn out to be wrong? Yes. It's very difficult, you know, especially when you've got, for example, the Hubble Space Telescope. So as I'm talking to you, papers are being written using observations from the Hubble Space Telescope. And, you know, my greatest plea for those watching is, where's the Lemaitre Space Telescope? Um, and it's, it's almost, I think it's almost impossible to change. But I do want to make one comment, if I may, as we wrap up. And that is, 
I nudged. I mean, I threw all my toys out the cot with regard to the, what I had discovered. Mm-hmm. And uh, bands of other historians had also done this. Uh, you know, we were all very agitated. And in fact, uh, I think, I like to think that I was one of the prime movers of getting this before the IAU, that's the International Astronomical Union. And they got uh, all astronomers to vote uh, whether it should remain Hubble's law a couple of years ago, just a few years ago. Unfortunately, I was not asked to present the detective work, which I think would have been ethically correct, but that's another story. But the point is it was presented. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, the majority of astronomers, I think about 80% of astronomers, agreed to have it renamed as the Hubble-Lemaitre law. So to me, it's it's not satisfactory at all. I mean, you know, now suddenly it's instead of the Hubble law, it's another name just tagged on on the end. Right, yeah. The human frame, the human neurophysiological process remembers <laughs> the name Hubble right. and Lemaitre is just tagging on as a sideshow. Right. Whereas it should be, in my mind, the Lemaitre law. I mean, I can honestly say that he has a paper with a law with the uh, Hubble's, um, you know, the rate of expansion of the universe, Lemaitre's law. To change these fundamental concepts, Jeff, in science is well nigh impossible once once the osmosis has taken place. Um, it's very, very, very hard to turn around. I tried my level best mm-hmm. to get the law named, the Lemaitre law, um, People still felt that we can't dislodge Hubble. He was the king of the galaxies, which in many areas he was with regard to his observations of Cepheids and much besides. But when it comes to what we're talking about here, the father of Big Bang cosmology, it's just too difficult. And I think the reason it's just too difficult is everything's Hubble now. As I said, the Hubble Space Telescope, there's the Hubble Luminosity Profile. And every time I present my case, people say, but David... You're having a dig at Hubble. The man's dead. Um, And yes, the man is dead, but that's the wonder of history, right? And as Christians, and this is another point, as Christians, you and I must be seekers after the truth. And part of the seekers of truth is to see who presents which ideas first. And when it comes to something, not just a little law, but a Rosetta Stone solved mathematically and then computationally or um, astronomically in terms of kilometers per second per megaparsec or whatever units Lemaitre used at that stage, um, I believe that uh, it sort of sets my heart at ease. Why? Because the Big Bang is bathed under the mantle of a Catholic priest, a very humble Mm -hmm. Catholic priest. And I think that... If future books or people watching this program rewrite books on the history of the expanding universe by featuring Georges Lemaitre, um, I've written many, many papers on this. You just Google David Block, Mm -hmm. Georges Lemaitre. My name even appears in the final AAU resolution Mm -hmm. when the name was uh, changed. But it's not enough, you know. I don't think Hubble to Hubble Lemaitre is going to uh, do one iota of good 
to uh, Lemaitre himself. Do you agree, Jeff? I do. And, uh, you know, I tell you, you've convinced me. Uh, like I said, I've done lots of talks where yes. I talk about, you know, how Hubble exactly. measured this. Exactly. I'm now going to go change those exactly. to make sure that Lemaitre gets his exactly. due because I think Absolutely. that's important that he knows. Absolutely. And I think it has important apologetic value. So I, I really appreciate a discussion. Thanks for what you brought. And, uh, you know, I hope you have enjoyed this. And thank you for joining us today. Uh, join us in the discussion below. Love to hear your comments. Remember to like this video, subscribe for more comments, set a reminder so you get new uh, episodes as they come out on each Thursday, available here on YouTube, your favorite podcast app. Share it with a friend. And just remember, the more we learn about science, the more we have reasons to believe. Thank you.